Hey y'all, this is Tiffany from Tennessee, and you're listening to Sinister Sightings. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 209. And you just heard Tiffany with an intro. Hey, if you want to do an intro just like Tiffany did, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right, the first one. Hello, I just found your podcast and I'm enjoying it so much. I've especially appreciated all the stories you read of paranormal stories from other listeners. It makes me feel more normal. I've had experiences ever since I can remember. Seeing things other people couldn't see, most not human, and many not very nice. I was adopted, and when I found my birth mother as an adult, she told me she could see things too, describing some beings that were just like things I'd seen. She said while she was pregnant with me was the worst time in her life for these things coming after her. Today, I'll share two stories, one positive, one scary. First, the scary so I can finish with the more positive. My parents got divorced when I was five. My dad started seeing a woman who I call my spirit mother because I truly believe she saved my soul. She is the only person I've ever known who believed me 100%. My dad and his girlfriend were looking for a house to rent. They took my sister and I with them one day. The house we pulled up to had a dead tree in the front yard, limbs cut off, and an old mossy tree swing hanging from one of the trimmed backed branches. There was a little girl about my age, seven, swinging on the swing, in a skirt, pigtails, and her clothes looked like clothes from the 70s or late 60s. This was about 1985. She watched us curiously, but silent. We walked about three feet away from her on the walkway to the front door. When I said hi, she startled, and her eyes met mine. She continued to stare at me, right in the eye, as we went by, not saying anything, but with an utterly shocked look on her face. Inside the house was cold and dark, felt really dark, though there was bright sunlight coming in from the kitchen windows. The house was partially furnished, so there was a kitchen table and chairs, beds in the bedroom, but no couch in the living room. I grew more and more confused what we were doing there and asked my dad's new girlfriend. She said they were thinking of renting the house. I said, but someone already lives here. Now, she was confused and asked why I thought that. I looked out the window at the girl on the swing, pointed to her, looked at my dad's girlfriend and said that the little girl lived here. My mom looked out and asked, what girl? I looked back at the swings and it was empty, but still swinging. The yard was too large for someone to run out of sight in the split second I took my eyes off the girl on the swing. The swing was still swinging hard and heavy like it does when a person's in it, not like from a breeze. They rented the house. My first few times there, we didn't sleep over as they were still moving in from my parents' house. My dad had still lived in it for a year after the divorce, but now had to move out to sell. I would sit in the living room while they were bringing in boxes and stuff, throwing a ball through an open door into the kitchen, where it would bounce off the cabinets and back to me. Once in a while, the ball would hit a cabinet's edge, bounce sideways into the kitchen and not come back, and I'd have to go get it. One time I threw the ball, it went sideways, and I started to crawl towards the open kitchen door to get it, when I heard something sliding on the kitchen floor. I froze. The air suddenly got cold. I broke out in goose flesh, and I could see my breath. I didn't know what to do. Everyone was outside, suddenly sounding impossibly far away, dim and muffled, and I'd have to go through that door to get to the front door. I heard a little girl whisper, What are you doing? 
thinking it was my sister, before I could remember she was outside and stopped myself, I asked if she wanted to play. Then I heard a little boy, sounding very young, whisper back that he was just going to give me the ball back. The girl whispered that he'd better not. He'd be mad. I heard some more whispering I couldn't hear. Then I heard sliding on the floor again and little hands on the linoleum as if a little kid was crawling and sliding pant-covered legs on the linoleum like little kids do. Then a long moment of silence. Suddenly, the ball comes rolling out of the kitchen doorway right to me. I look down and catch it. Out of the corner of my eye, I see a little hand curl around the edge of the open door frame. I freeze again, unable to move or speak, terrified because it's not a hand I recognize. I hear more whispering, a very little boy and an older girl. Then, as I'm staring right at the doorway, I see the face of a little boy very slowly and shyly peek around the edge of the doorway, but only half his face. So he's looking at me with only one eye. He's smiling. Then the little girl says, he's coming. I hear heavy boots coming through the front door in the dining room in the front of the house. The dining room and the kitchen was one room. The little boy pulled back into the kitchen. I thought it was my dad coming to the house at first, a guy in big, heavy work boots, and my dad worked construction and rode horses and had big, loud boots. However, the loud footsteps sounded loud, heavy, and angry, then went from the dining room to the kitchen across the open doorway. There was no one there, but I could see the floor shaking where each heavy, angry footstep fell. An open cabinet in the kitchen slammed shut with a loud crack. Terrified, I ran screaming through the open door, through the dining room, and out to the front yard where my dad and his girlfriend were unpacking the truck. I told them what happened, but my dad didn't believe me. He had long grown annoyed and frustrated with me and my nightmares and imagination. My dad's girlfriend, though, my spirit mother, believed me. She said she felt something dark and angry in this house and told dad not to rent it, but it was cheap and all they could afford. Things got worse. The bedroom me and my sister slept in was the coldest place in the house. Nothing we did made it warm. The cold seemed to worry my dad's girlfriend, but she kept assuring me she'd cleanse the house. I don't know what that meant, but she was so serious that I was nervous. My sister and I went to sleep the first night that we slept over before my dad and his girlfriend. We usually did. That's dad's kid-free time when he watched the news, and since I was such a scaredy cat prone to nightmares and imaginary friends, my dad had long lost all patience for my frequent trips out of bed to sit with him. That night, I laid awake, chilled to the bone, despite all the blankets they had piled over us and how high they'd turned the heater up. I had that feeling that something paranormal was coming or going to happen. The stronger this feeling, the more intense and frightening the encounter. Then I heard heavy boots in an angry, determined pace heading to the bedroom. I thought it was my dad and he knew I was awake, so I closed my eyes and pretended to be asleep. The door creaked open and the footsteps came into the bedroom and up to the foot of the bed. I heard him breathing. Anger radiated, getting stronger and stronger, and the room got colder and colder. Finally, I opened my eyes. It wasn't my dad. There was a tall, muscular man there wearing jeans and a dark plaid work shirt with no face. Where his face was, was a big, black, swirling mass. And all around him was dark, and he was surrounded by shadows. Anger, such horrible anger, radiated from that figure. I couldn't scream or move. I watched and felt him crawl up on the bed, crawl over me, straddling me. His weight pushed me into the mattress. His anger, that darkness, went up over me, then down me, and a heavy weight pressing me into the bed. I couldn't breathe or move. Terror I can't describe filled me. Then suddenly, my girlfriend's dad burst into the bedroom, started shouting for my dad, and scooped me up out of the bed. 
Once she pulled me out from the bed, I started screaming and moving. My stepmom told me later that she had suddenly got a bad feeling that I was in trouble. When she burst into the room and turned the light, she saw a big dark shadow over me and that I had been sunken into the bed and the blankets so far she almost didn't see me next to my younger, much smaller sister laying high on the mattress. I refused to sleep in that room ever again. I'd cry and cry if they tried to make me. I said I'd never come stay with my dad again if they made me. They started making a bed on the living room floor in front of the TV and leave the TV on so I could go to sleep. As long as I wasn't in that room, the angry man didn't bother me. Still, I would often hear those heavy, angry boots going from the front door, through the dining room, into the living room, past the couch, and into that bedroom. No one else heard this, but my dad's girlfriend told me she would sometimes feel a cold spot going along that route. Sometimes that bedroom door would open and close, though she always made sure it was closed and latched. Sometimes at night, I would hear the ball in the kitchen bouncing off the cabinets and rolling across the floor. Sometimes it would roll into the living room where I was. Sometimes I'd roll it back, but sometimes I ignored it, scared. I never saw those little spirit kids again. My dad's girlfriend did talk him into moving. In the new house they rented, they kept our toys in a little attic. We started hearing little feet running around up there, electronics going on and off. My dad's girlfriend said she'd sometimes find the toy box lit up and our toys out when my sister and I were at my mom's. My dad's girlfriend thought it was the spirit children. She said she had asked if they wanted to come with us when we moved. This thought terrified me. She tried to convince me that they weren't dangerous and just wanted to be friends. She talked me into going to the foot of the steep attic stairs. There were no doors on the attic. Looking up, I heard the little kid's footsteps running across the floor up there to the top of the stairs. And though I didn't see anything, a ball, the same ball, came bouncing down the stairs towards me. Terrified, I ran away screaming. Sometimes I would hear a kid up there walking around and playing. Terrified, I'd always ask them to stop because I was scared. And they would. Years later, I feel a little bad. I only heard one little kid, small like a little boy, not the bigger, older girl. If it was him and he followed us alone, he must have been lonely. That story turned out much longer than I intended. Shorter version of my more positive encounter. I had a friend when I was 16 who always had terrible taste in boys. One day she begged me to give her a ride somewhere as I had a driver's license and she didn't. I agreed but started having reoccurring nightmares multiple times a night of being with her in a bar with an older guy. In every dream, this guy got into a knife fight. In each dream, no matter what I did, either my friend or I ended up dead. This guy wore a leather jacket, motorcycle boots, and a Metallica t-shirt. Then, I found out that she wanted me to drive her to meet a guy, a biker guy, at a bar. I told her I wouldn't do it. I told her about my dreams. We argued. Finally, she came around, and instead of asking me to drive her to the mall, we'd go shopping. I agreed. I continued to have the dreams. On the morning of the day I was supposed to drive her, I was walking towards the door to leave, books in my arm, backpack over the shoulder, when I heard a voice behind me say, no. I stopped, turned, but no one was there. Shook it off and again headed towards the door. This time, a hand came down on my shoulder. A voice, closer and louder, said, no. I spun around, but no one was there. I was alone in the house. I had the distinct impression someone was there, feeling eyes on me. But oddly, I wasn't scared, though I was nervous. I had to get to school, so after waiting a moment where nothing happened, I walked towards the door again. This time, the hand grabbed my shoulder, pulled me backwards hard, and shouted right in my ear, No! I didn't fall, but I was pulled backwards so far I stumbled backwards into the kitchen counter. I had to throw out my arms for balance, dropping my books and backpack. Heart pounding now, still not scared, but definitely concerned, I told whatever was there in the empty room to leave me alone. 
When I said that, the dream with the biker guy and the knife flashed before my eyes. I asked out loud, if I promised not to drive my friend, could I leave? There was no response. I promised out loud I wouldn't drive her, picked up my stuff, and left. I kept my word and told my friend I wouldn't drive her. We had a huge friendship-ending fight where I accused her of lying to me and endangering me. I told her about my dream, described her boyfriend, and she freaked out that I was stalking her. She found another person to drive her. Her boyfriend got into a knife fight and was arrested. People were injured, but I never learned how badly. He went to jail for a while. My friend never spoke to me again. I've also never heard or physically felt that unseen protector again. Thank you. Again, I love your show. Most people I tell my stories to don't believe me. It feels great to share my stories with people who maybe just might not think I'm crazy. I have more stories to tell if you'd be interested in more lolly. Okay, I understand like the fight with the friend because they wanted to go and they didn't believe you. But like after home dude got in a fight, I would be like, um, hey, girl, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) You're right. I'm so sorry. 100%. Also, thank God for your stepmom. Another thing, uh, I had never heard of goose flesh before. (laughs) You've heard just goosebumps? Yeah. I've even heard like goose pimples. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I was like, I've heard goose something, but maybe it's goose pimples I've heard. Yeah, not goose flesh. I was like, damn, that sounds like Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) But I know exactly what you're talking about. 100%. I got them during dinner tonight. This bitch so cold-natured now. Carrie and Colby both were like, what? They're both in short sleeves. I'm in a long sleeve shirt, long leggings. Uh, and we definitely want to hear all the stories. We believe you. Yeah, I was going to say, um, and send them in. Okay, the next one. Hello, ladies. Is there like a character limit sending y'all a story this way? Because if so, we might have to switch to email. Let's just test it out, shall we? They sent this through the website. Oh, I was like, wait, what? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. My entire life, there has been one paranormal thing after another. From friends' house phones calling our house phone to me going into a cemetery and my body kind of locking up when I feel a negative presence. Really weird, I know. But this happened when I was around 9 or 10. Picture it. You walk in the front door, take a few steps into the living room. In front of you is an archway that leads to the kitchen. You go a few more feet, turn to your left, and you're in a small hallway. If you look left, that's my parents' room. Look right, and that's the bathroom. Look straight ahead, and that's my brother's room. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but all I can think is, everybody look left. Everybody look right. Oh, yeah. Logging. Yeah. Okay, bye. Then you turn back around and walk all the way across the house, through the living room, to another hallway, where on the left is a spare room, and in the right is little old me. There's a bathroom that connected my room and the spare room. I hated using this bathroom. It scared the living shit out of me. And I'm not shy about it. I would go all the way across the house just to use the other one. One night in doing this, on my way back, I ran into a rocking love seat. I didn't think anything of it. Well, the next night, I kept hearing things rattling in the kitchen and a thumping sound. I hid under my covers and didn't dare leave my room. Night three, same thing. Thumping, rattling, and when I said something, of course, I was called a liar. Fourth night, same thing, only the thumping was louder and it sounded closer. When I got up in the morning and left my room, the love seat was almost to my bedroom door. Mama said I did it. I was terrified. The final night, no rattling sound, but the thumping was louder and very, very close. One thing had changed. I couldn't stop falling asleep. 
The next morning, the love seat was at my door and it looked like two people were sitting in it. I went to my parents' room and woke my mom up. On her nightstand was a picture. I pointed at it and told her that they said for her to stop being mean to me and that they loved her, but they would not tolerate it any longer. Those two men in the picture, well, they were my grandfather who passed away when my mother was three and my great-grandfather, not sure when he passed, but I've never met either of them. Sorry, this is so long, but I hope you liked it. Well, did she believe you after that? Right? And I mean, you gotta be like, I'm sorry, but your elders said to leave me the fuck alone, mom. How you said, what did you say? Leave me the fuck alone, mama? Mom. Oh, I don't know why, but do you remember um, when Leslie Jordan at the very beginning of lockdown when he was like, I'm talking to my friends, mama. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you sounded like. And yeah, I would do the same thing. I'm not going to go to the creepy ass bathroom. I will haul my shit literally across the whole house. If there's a scary bathroom, I do not like using it one bit. Why do parents never believe you? Right? I mean, if I was a parent, I probably wouldn't believe my kid either, but I'm just saying. 100% you wouldn't. Hey guys, short story this time. Just another thing from my creepy AF crotch goblin who is now five. We'll call her R. So she very often talks about her other families. Always has for as long as I can remember. Yeah, hard no if you ask me. I always try to change the subject because it's always a strange story that ends with how someone got killed or died. This always creeps me and my husband out every time she talks about it, and my husband gets creeped out by kids and haunted stuff, never mind when it's his own. Anyway, so the other day, she drew a picture and handed it to me while I was working from home, and I look at it and go, what's this? She goes, that's me, and my sister, and my other mom and dad. I looked at her with a what-the-fuck face and go, uh, what? She goes, yeah, we all died in a car accident. I looked at her and go, R, why do you always say these wild stories? And she goes, I don't know. I just remember stories sometimes and draw them before I forget so I can show you. Isn't it cool? Then she proceeds to ask me if I knew her other family. I would be fine if she just forgot these stories because this shit is wild. I'll have to keep a running email of these stories and dreams she has as she has them to make my next one a bit longer. I swear this kid is strange just like me. Connected to the afterlife. Poor thing cursed. If I wanted kids before, I definitely don't want after that. Because one, I'm too nosy and I'd be all up in their business and then like all the, I don't know, just. No, I I would want to know too. I'd be like, so tell me more about your family. But then I would like freak myself out. Mm -hmm. No, they would freak you out. Yeah. But I love hearing about the shit that your kids say. Mm -hmm. Me too. Especially when they say shit like that. Yes. And like she drew the picture. I know. And she's like, I want to do it while I remember. Okay, next one. Hi, ladies. I literally just found y'all today and had to share my crazy stories. I'm 41 years old and have had experiences since before my own memories formed. I'll number them for you so you can break it up easily. I hope something I share is interesting to y'all. First one. When I was a baby, near a year old, my mom and I moved in with her grandmother, Grammy. Grammy was a widow and was living in a house built by Grampy's family when he was a child. I'm not sure the exact year, but I believe it was in the 1930s. With this time period, families held funeral services and wake services within the home, so you know there is extra energy. We were there for a few years, and my mom dealt with the crybaby ghost and the mother in our room. She said the baby cried every night. She would wake up, check on me, and I would be asleep, and then would hear footsteps cross the small room, and the crying stopped. 
This continued for weeks until the night no one came for the baby. My mom was not sure of the duration, but a crying baby in the dark can seem like forever. She assumed it had been at least 30 minutes when she lost her temper. She yelled out, Someone please come get this baby. I have to work in the morning. The footsteps came rushing in and neither ever returned. Number two. When we left Grammy's, we moved into a small apartment of a renovated mansion, super popular in my hometown and surrounding areas in Michigan. While we lived there, we spent the majority of our time looking for lost items, just to have them pop up in places they never should have been. Anything one would look for daily. Keys, wallets, lighters, hair accessories, toys, you name it. When we left there, my aunt took over our lease and she experienced the same thing with her kids. Story three, the house on 8th Street was an exciting move for us. My mom and her boyfriend had my brother and found a house with a yard. This place was crazy active and caused some issues. First, we had the overly polite ghost. He knocked on the door every time he wanted in, disturbing the dog, whatever activities were going on, and on a few occasions caused friends and my parents to say they wouldn't stay alone with us kids there again. He, my mom said the vibes were definitely male, would keep on and on until someone actually answered the door. My mom was already frustrated, so when her good friend said she couldn't watch my brother over there because she was scared, well, my mom lost it a little. Opened the door he knocked on and the others leading to it, yelled at the top of her lungs, You live here too! Stop knocking and just come the fuck in! We never heard another knock but a noticeable breeze that was much cooler than the room would sweep through a few times a day. Story number four. Also on 8th Street, we had the nanny ghost. She lived upstairs where my brother and I slept. She kept the stairwell 20 degrees cooler than the rest of the house, which was great in the summer because no AC, and made sure we were safe. If we were sick or stayed the night away, she would pace between the rooms and you could hear her creaky footsteps all night long. We all took comfort knowing that she was there. I think she tried talking to me. I could hear a woman's voice call my name that sounded far away. And I would always think it was my mom, go downstairs and check in just to be told I was never called. After a time, no idea how short or long because, you know, kid brain, I could tell the difference and just didn't respond. I wonder now if I would have tried to talk to her, if I would have been able to really actually talk to her. Number five. Fast forward to adulthood. I'm 21, married, and have my first child. We're stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and move into post-housing. Fort Campbell and the surrounding areas are rich in Civil War history, so ghosties come with the territory. This is my weird one, but validated by a neighbor that asked if I experienced something strange and made us feel crazy. Food went missing. Baked goods set out to cool would completely vanish. Leftovers and snacks just not be there anymore. I think that unsettled me more than any other experience because I truly questioned my sanity. Number six, we buy a house south of Fort Campbell on the Tennessee side of Post. We have two kids and they are both below school age. We're welcomed into our home by ancestors and relatives, leaving us coins all over and swooping in as exotic-looking birds that we have never seen again. That went on for a year, and then the spirits started to play. Number seven, we have at least three spirits that start messing around. One seems like a child and likes to leave the lights on and mess with the TV. One likes to bang around in the garage and make the dogs bark. And the final spirit was malicious and lived in my oldest child's bedroom. 
I had to do a double cleansing on that space. It started with headaches. My child would be crying that it hurt so bad. And it always started in that room. Then there was the night the glowing eyes and the growly voice talked to my child and their cousin. They slept in frightful terror, and I was told the following morning. I pulled a card from my mom's deck and yelled. I then followed it up later that day when I calmed with a chant and a prayer. Now I use sage as the gods intended. No more issues for my baby in that room moving forward. The dogs got used to the banging and we did too, so that eventually stopped on its own. Like they got bored of it when there wasn't a response. To this day, we have electrical interference here and any device that requires that type of power can glitch out at any time. You just learn to deal after a while. Oh my, that was so much. I'm sorry. I have more stories heard from friends and family if you like more. Jamie C. from Middle Tennessee. Well, Jamie C. from Middle Tennessee, you sound like a radio host. (laughs) You do, but woo, you got some experiences. Downtown Julie Brown could never with that name. (laughs) I want a nanny ghost who'll take care of me when I'm sick. Like, I just want some foot rubs, okay? That's what Tinder's for. (laughs) You're not wrong. But, like, you know, you're sick. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I want none of those experiences. I mean, except for being taken care of when I'm sick. Yeah, I definitely don't want the growly voice and the glowing eyes. No. And when you were little and you thought your mom was calling you, oh, my God, you know, I'd be so mad because I would, like, be playing with my Barbies and shit, you know. Be like, I don't want to stop. Okay, let me go see. And then you're not even called. Oh, that would drive me mad. You said, and you're not even called. <laughs> like, caw <laughs> Okay. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for getting me through my mornings of dropping my kids off at school and heading to work. I totally get why kids are a nope for you. They're dickheads. Anyway, here's my sinister sighting story. This happened when I was in high school. We have a very close group of girlfriends that are still inseparable today. We were at one of our friends' house to have a sleepover and do high school girl shit. Her father is a preacher and would do anything for anyone. He's like a second father to us. Her family's religious and believed in the paranormal. Their house they lived in at the time was once occupied by a cheerleader from the 60s and her family. She cheered for one of our local high schools that we all attended. She and six others were on their way to a competition when their plane crashed and there were no survivors. There's a plaque in the high school commemorating all who died tragically. We would often hear stories from a friend and her family that the girl was still in the house looking for her family. They would hear footsteps down the hallways, doors open and close, and even see her at the foot of their bed. They, of course, were not afraid of her as they believed she just needed guidance to cross over. Back to the sleepover. We decided to try our hand at a seance and see if we could get her ghost to respond to us. We lit candles, did some other shit I can't remember that we thought would be pertinent. After a while of not getting a response, we decided to head to bed as it got really late and we needed to be up early the next morning. Out of nowhere, the door to their mudroom slammed shut. Now, not only was it loud as fuck, but also that door didn't close properly as they had draped a plastic shoe holder over the top. The kind that layer flat on both sides of the door to organize shoes. The sound was so loud that it woke her father up. Now, he had been sleeping through our giggles and running back and forth for food and other goodies from the kitchen. He took one look at us and said, I'm going to have to bless the house again. We were shocked because we were just being stupid kids, but apparently our seance actually worked. Fast forward to the next morning, I hop in the shower and realize both feet were burning, like burning. Got out of the shower and noticed three scratches on the tops of my feet. 
After that, anytime I went to her house, I felt uneasy like someone was watching me. Needless to say, that didn't stop us from doing other stupid shit to scare ourselves. Hope you enjoyed my story. Creep it real and don't get scared. Alyssa. I have one of those door things. I mean, I still have it on my door at the old house. When I lived in my apartments, I would use that on the back of the pantry door to hold uh, cleaning products. Mm. Saw it on Pinterest. (laughs) Pinterest before TikTok. Right. You know what? I like that they were, like, he was a preacher and all, but he was, like, into it. He was like, yeah. damn it, now I gotta bless the house again. Right. Like, he wasn't like, you crazy kids and your dog, Scooby. <laughs> I don't know. That was lame. <laughs> but you get the point. Yes. Okay, the next one. Texas knows when you are sleeping. Hey, ladies, I've written in a few times before. This time, I've got a ghost story I learned about with a true crime connection. Love y'all, and I hope you're doing good whenever y'all get to reading this. I'm from Texas and live about an hour from Austin. September 6th was my husband and I's 13-year anniversary. And second wedding anniversary, we dated a long time before saying I do. So we decided to do something fun to celebrate. I randomly thought to look into a ghost tour because one, 13 is a spooky number, and two, hubby and I enjoy the spooky stuff. Your girl is also an extra-large pizza, and as y'all have recently experienced, it's fucking hot here in Texas. So I looked up a van-slash-driving tour, found one, Haunted ATX for anyone wondering, and booked us a tour. Side note, they also have hearse tours. It was a bit more than I could swing, but I so want to do one. The day arrives, we have a nice date, Cheesecake Factory, because I know Donna wants to know, and I ate too much, y'all. Grabbed a coffee at the coffee shop near the meetup spot, then got a text to meet up for the tour. We got to the van and we ended up getting a surprise private tour because we were the only ones to book that tour. Our tour guide, Loretta, shout out, was fantastic. She took us to two very interesting locations. There was some walking and stairs and your girl was sweating and regretting the cheesecake. And then let us pick our final location between a pub and a haunted house. We pick the house. She drives us over. We park and get out. It's this beautiful but creepy old three-story house on the UT campus. As we walk around from the back of the house to the front, the bell tower at UT begins tolling a very slow, ominous version of the eyes of Texas. It's to the tune of I've been working on the railroad. Trust me, it's creepy as hell when it's very slow from a bell. We face the house and Loretta starts telling us its history. It's the Littlefield House, built by George Littlefield, a cattle baron and a Civil War veteran. He was an honorary officer for donating cattle. He built it for himself and his wife, Alice. Alice had married George at 16 and so missed out on a lot of her youth and wanted nothing more than to have daughters of her own to raise and give them means to enjoy their young adult lives that she didn't have. After years of trying, miscarriages, and a stillbirth, all in the house, Alice had too much trauma to continue trying. And so in a move to bring his wife some joy, George had the freshman girl's dorm built directly across the street from their home on the new UT campus. Alice spent much of her time over there, mentoring and tending to the young girls. At some point, however, Alice seemed to lose her grasp on the world and was swallowed up by anxiety, dread, and paranoia. She refused to leave the house, spent all of her waking hours terrified that she and her husband were going to be killed. Everyone passing by the house in her mind was an assassin. Her fear and demeanor were such that George took her to a doctor to be assessed. 
Given the time period, it should be no shock that the doctor said, well, she's clearly lost her mind because she didn't have any children. Put her in the asylum. Props to George. He said no. If she was going into madness and die, she would do so in the home he built for her. And so they returned home. And George had the top two levels of the turret converted just for Alice. No one could come in, but she was able to go out if she pleased to do so, which she rarely did. Some time passed like this. How long, I'm not really sure, but years for certain. Eventually, George died, and after that, Alice seemed to become herself again, at least to the point of being comfortable leaving the house again, interacting with people again, and so on. So what's up with that? Some people think that George was poisoning her to keep her out of the way, but why wouldn't he send her to an asylum rather than having her in his house and having everyone talk about his crazy wife if he wanted her out of the way? Some people think it was a form of PTSD and grief surrounding their infertility and lost pregnancies that George seemed to imbibe to her. But we know much more about trauma and PTSD now than they did, and we understand it doesn't just go away all of a sudden. And then there's the idea that George's infidelity caused Alice to be unwell. There are accounts of him definitely having extramarital affairs, not to mention the employment records for the servants at the Littlefield house showing the staff to be almost exclusively 27-year-old women while George was alive. These women would be dismissed shortly after their 28th birthday. And then we also have to consider those dorms he built right across the street. The one supposedly to help his grieving wife, full of young women away from home for the first time. It is almost certain George took advantage of this as well. So this theory could hold some water. Following her husband's death, Alice replaced most of the staff with men, get you some girl, and continued to live out her days in her home. She never did get back to that vibrant young woman she had been, and still much preferred being at home. Some years later, the construction on the bell tower at UT began directly across from her bedroom turret room. She sat day in and day out at the desk in front of the window watching the construction. In no way, shape, or form did Alice like this tower or want the build to continue. She tried to campaign to stop the build, but her powerful husband was long gone and she was just a half-mad widow. She died the year before the tower was completed. Alice apparently had been a consistent journaler, writing in her diary every day. In her final years, much of it was about the tower, which she saw to be evil. There were sketches in her diary of the tower with the dark whirlwind spiraling around its top. So we all know about the bell tower at University of Texas, of course. Who doesn't know the story of the UT shooter, Charles Whitman, who climbed to the top of the bell tower on August 1st, 1966, and claimed the lives of 14 people. And we all have heard about Whitman being unstable. Maybe even that he left a note mentioning that he knew there was something wrong and imploring the university to study his brain. You might even know that they did, indeed, study his brain and find a small tumor pressing on his amygdala, the region of the brain that deals with emotional and behavioral control. But would you guess he had anything in common with Alice Littlefield? Whitman, too, was a dedicated journaler, leaving behind tons of writings. Among them were the journal entries talking about what he saw around that bell tower. With those entries, there were sketches, much like Alice's, the bell tower surrounded by a black, billowing whirlwind. Whitman's, however, had long black tentacles reaching down from the cloud and wrapping around individual people at its base. 
So what can we make from this? Did Alice Littlefield have a premonition about the terrible things to happen from that tower top? Did she perhaps also have a tumor pressing on her brain that either allowed her to see that dark swirling mass or caused her to hallucinate it? Is a tower some evil omen? Or is it all just a massive, weird, sad coincidence? I'm not sure, but I can definitely tell you that the tower has an oppressive vibe. See, the way it was designed, it was built to look over Austin in a literal sense. There are clock faces around each side, eyes to the tower. I'll leave you with the disturbing lyrics of The Eyes of Texas Are Upon You, which, despite petitions to change the song or stop it altogether, chimes at 9 p.m. every night. The eyes of Texas are upon you all the live long day. The eyes of Texas are upon you. You cannot get away. Do not think you can escape them from night till early in the morn. The eyes of Texas are upon you till Gabriel blows his horn. Love, Sharice from Texas. Well, what's so funny is when you were writing about that, I was like, I wonder if that's a tower that the UT shooter did it because I covered that in A Crime to Remember because I, I had never heard of that no, me before that. Yeah, me neither. I was like, wait, what? Like, I don't know how I didn't know that. Right. But he's the one who killed his mom and his wife before mm-hmm. going up to the tower and stuff. But yeah, it was like he knew what he was doing was wrong. But, like, he couldn't not do it, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, we know now is because he had a tumor. But I'm thinking just a weird coincidence. But I also don't understand why she just, like, all of a sudden was like, all right, cool, after her husband died. Right. I know. I was like, wait, was he keeping her in that house? Because even though he didn't want her sent away, maybe because he didn't want her to get better. Right. Or he didn't want people to know what he was doing. Yeah. But also when you said he built the female dorm across so she could, you know, do the stuff. I'm like, okay, I see that. But also it's creepy that he's like, oh yeah, here's all these young, young, impressionable uh kids. Yeah. And then, I mean, just to top it off, how you said no one could be over 27. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah. That's gross. Even if he didn't touch any of his staff, that's still gross. Oh yeah. Because he was looking at them. Uh Uh-huh. Hopefully you will come meet us while we're in Austin this year in August But we are doing a haunted tour, and I think it is by Haunted ATX. Okay. Hey, ladies. It's been more than a year since I sent in my last story. I still listen to the podcast like it was the first time and still love it. So this story is about something happening this past week. I'm currently 19 weeks pregnant and had a baby doctor appointment Thursday at 7.30 a.m. I was reluctant to go alone because I have an almost three-year-old who is curious as a cat when awake. But since he's been having issues staying asleep during the night, it's a hit or miss if he stays asleep in the morning. I get up at 6 a.m. to get his sister, who is five, ready for school to catch the bus around 6.45. Well, Mr. Curious woke up twice while I was helping his sister get ready. So that last time, I tucked him in my bed in my spot next to my husband and gave him half a melatonin since I know he didn't get enough sleep the night before. My husband, bless his heart, works night shift as a supervisor and has been working his ass off for us. So I totally understand his need for sleep. And with him working night shift, he needs like 75% more than the average eight hours for someone who works day shift. But he also helps me with the kids as much as he can. And I love him for that. So I'd be sure to hand my little one his tablet as well because he could watch it for hours and be entertained until he falls back asleep. Hopefully, I was praying. His dad was sawing logs, but I managed to wake him and let him know I was headed out. 
After debating mom guilt with alone time to think, I decided that I deserved some me time, even if it was a doctor's appointment. Since I've been at home for the past several months without a way to get away with the kids to the park since hubby uses our only vehicle for work. Another reason I decided to go alone was because it was a sonogram appointment and when thinking about how much of a hassle it would be to control my curious little boy while on a table with expensive equipment, I thought it would be far too embarrassing and frustrating. But the whole ride to my appointment, I kept saying to myself, please stay asleep, please stay asleep, please stay asleep. I kept envisioning the worst in my head. He would wake up and walk out of the room looking for me and then walk outside the house looking for me. But knowing we talked about walking slash playing in the road and getting in trouble plenty of times, my anxiety was through the roof. I left at 7.15 and didn't get back home until 9.30 that morning. I heard sirens heading towards the house when walking out of the clinic. I booked it home, not caring if I was pulled over because I'm also a rule follower slash speed limit follower. I pulled up to my house and there were no signs of police or fire trucks or anything like that. Thank God. The front door was closed, which was a good sign. I unlocked the door, walked in the bedroom, and see my curious little one snuggled next to his daddy with his tablet asleep. A huge sigh of relief came over me and the pregnancy hormones made me cry. I repeatedly said, thank you, Jesus, over and over under my breath so I wouldn't wake them. But that night when I was on the phone after the kids had gone to bed, I read a post on Facebook from a friend with whom we attended church a couple of years ago. He said his grandson, nearly three, had managed to get out of his house and got hit by a truck. My heart arose in my throat and I started to tear up. I read that he suffered broken bones and road rash, bumps and bruises, and was sent to the hospital. I read an update a couple of days later saying he would pull through, but I couldn't help thinking, what? That was such a coincidence, or was it? Can anxiety and worry be so powerful of an energy that it can manifest horrible situations like that? Honestly, I felt bad, like I was to blame for it. I know it sounds silly, but the thought came across quickly and then left just as fast. I know that I'm so grateful for every little thing that occurred that morning at the time that it did, especially the melatonin, because I don't know what I'd do if something happened while I was at my mom guilt-ridden baby doctor appointment. Keep up the great work and looking forward to October 22 for the daily Halloween month content. Christy. Look, I can't even begin to understand the mom guilt that you had and all of that because I feel bad when I'm leaving Marley because she's looking at me like, bitch, where are you going? You going bye-bye without me? And like, I get really sad doing that sometimes. But again, that's just my dog, you know? So I have no idea. But I also know when you need a break. Yes, and honestly, it was safer for him at home in bed with his dad than in a doctor's office where who knows what he's getting into. Right. And you needed to be able to focus on your appointment, know what the doctor was saying, and not have to worry about chasing that little, um, what did our last reader call it? Crotch goblin. Crotch goblin around, you know, like you needed to focus. So, which again, we don't understand mom guilt in that way, but you didn't do anything wrong. Right, yeah. Don't feel the mom guilt because you deserve that time. But I definitely don't think you caused that injury for that child. No, not at all. Okay, last one. Hey, booze, it's been a minute since my last random blurb of words, so I thought it was time for the next ones. To set the tone, I live alone in a log cabin in a neighborhood that's mostly cabin rentals, so it can get a little creepy, but I love it. Anywho, here's story number one. One day I was in my basement in what I call my femme den watching TV before work. As I'm sitting there, I hear this loud crashing noise coming from upstairs from what sounded like my grandma's room. 
Before I could even think, I hear the door to my grandma's room open and heavy footsteps walk across the floor above me. I was absolutely frozen in fear. I looked down at both of my cats, who I swear were looking back at me like, Human, I know you heard that. But I knew I was home alone. My grandma was at a nursing home during that time. I was so freaked out, I called my mom asking if maybe my stepdad had come over and I didn't realize it. But I knew that wasn't the case. I was just trying to rationalize it in whatever way I could. One thing I'm not is the one white person in every horror movie who gets killed because they go investigate. This is one time I was not about to be a Nancy Drew-ass bitch. After getting off the phone with my mom and her confirming they weren't there, I yelled, Hello? But everything in the house was silent. I never discovered anything that had fallen over, and I know I heard that door open and footsteps. My grandma had dementia, and before she went to the nursing home, she would say strange things like, I hear the haints jumping off the bed again. You know, just the thing nightmares are made of. Story two. Fast forward a year and a half, and it's been one year since my grandma has now passed away in her bedroom. I never feel creepy in there. I know she's in the good place because she was an absolute angel. Anywho, Dini, one night I have a guy I've been seeing stay the night, and I wake up to the ceiling fan light on and what sounded like shuffling on the floor. I thought he had gotten up to use the bathroom and was getting back in bed until I quickly realized he was snoring so loud. Like, I actually think he might have been nearly dying in his sleep from not breathing. That sleep apnea from hell kind of snoring. That wasn't the weirdest part, though. The ceiling fan light can only be turned on by a remote, which stopped working so long ago that I can't even tell you where it is. There is no pull chain on it. So I'm wondering how the light got turned on in the first place. There's no explanation. I have more stories and I'm sure I'll experience more to add in the future too. Sorry these were so long, but I hope they kept you entertained. Creep it real and don't get scared, Ashley in North Georgia. I think you've told us about your femme den before because I remember that and I love it. But I don't love footsteps, like unexplained footsteps. No, no, no. Because also you were downstairs. So like you'd have to go upstairs to get out. Mm -mm. Or maybe you don't. I don't know. I'm not a stalker. I don't know the house layout, right? Or... Do you? (laughs) Look, if it was me up there, you would hear my flip-flops flippity-flopping. She ain't wrong. If it was me, you'd hear my Crocs. Mm Mm-hmm. And she would hit the walls a few times. (laughs) That's so true. My shirt would get hung on every doorknob. You'd hear me go, God damn it! I was literally (laughs) about to say that. You'd be like, oh, oh. Also, how'd it go with the guy? Did the guy get a second chance? Or did the snoring, you know, kill the vibe? But was the sex good? That's what she's trying to say. <laughs> well, y'all, keep these stories coming in. Y'all always tease us with, if you want my other one, of course we fucking want it. Y'all know I'm terrified of rubbing out of stories. <laughs> True. If you want your story read on an episode, send it in at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.